Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Um, welcome to Freedom Church. Welcome, especially if it's your first time here with us. You are really welcome. Um, welcome to those who are listening on the podcast, uh, who are kind of catching up with what's been going on here. We're going to be starting a new teaching series all around the book of James. All around the book of James. And it's entitled, Only the Brave. Talking about brave, I don't know what you're like when it comes to sharing a room with somebody. I'm not talking about me married. That was last, that was last series. I'm talking about sharing a room with somebody who you're not married to and you have to kind of share a hotel room with twin beds. You ever had that experience? This week it was my turn to share a room with Tim Parker. I've never shared a room with Tim before and there's always unwritten rules that no one ever tells you about how you behave and what's appropriate and what you should and shouldn't do. And, you know, you don't want to be too close, but you're always too distant and who gets up first in the morning and all those kind of things. It's a very strange experience. I think we survived our three days away in Peterborough. He's still talking to me, which is good. I'm not sure who snored the loudest. But I had this experience last year. And I went away on a, uh, I went away for just a couple of nights to the big church day out up in Manchester, and we were there for a couple of days, and I, I shared a room with a friend of mine, and I'll mention his name because he quite regularly listens to the podcast. So my friend Lee, who, if you're listening, Lee, you'll remember this very well, more than I probably will, is that, that we went and we shared this room, and we were in this nice hotel just near Manchester Airport, and we arrived in this hotel room, and, and much to his amusement and my concern, there was one big double bed in the middle of the room. And he just thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I was just thinking, how do I explain to my really good friend that I would rather not be sharing a double bed? So fortunately, the hotel sent someone up and they, they, they just ripped the bed apart. Apparently, just, you know, separate beds, great. We're okay. Anyway, that night, we're getting ready for bed and we're trying to work out the rules of how you behave and what you do and who goes to the bathroom first. Anyway, I got myself cleaned up. I jumped into bed. And then it's my friend Lee's turn to go to the bathroom. And then I heard his voice talking. I thought, what's he? Oh, maybe he's on the phone to his wife. And I looked next to his bed, and he left his phone charging up next to the bed. I thought, well, he's not on the phone. So who is he talking to? And I know this breaks all the rules, but I was quite intrigued, so I tiptoed up to the door. (laughs) And my friend Lee, who's quite comfortable with himself, shall we say, had left the door slightly ajar. And I peeked into the bathroom where my friend Lee was standing in front of the mirror. And he was looking at himself in the mirror and said, Lee, you are a tiger. (laughs) I have never forgotten those words ever since. Lee, you are a tiger. I jumped back into bed. I tucked myself in and I pretended to be asleep really fast. I thought, this is really uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever spoken to yourself in the mirror before. Maybe you've not called yourself a tiger. Maybe you've got other names you call yourself, good or bad. What are we like we talk into the mirror? I want to talk today about the analogy that James uses about the Bible being like a mirror. James talks about the Bible being like a mirror. I need to explain a little bit about the book of James. The book of James, they don't know who wrote the book of James. There's about six different Jameses in the Bible. And today, someone once said recently, it's a bit like a, a bunch of tweets 
all just kind of amalgamated into one book. It's like a bunch of post-it notes of thoughts, of quotes, of ideas, and sort of jammed together. And they're not sure whether that was, you know, James, the brother of, uh, of Jesus, or whether it was one of the, the uh, disciples, um, which James wrote it. But there's this book called James. It's five chapters long, and each chapter is full of, like, great thoughts, of great wisdom. And the overarching theme throughout James we're going to pick up over the next five weeks, in, in there's five chapters, five weeks, is we're going to look at this idea of discipleship, that there's, there's something about growing in God, of becoming more like God. So if we go to James chapter 1, and leave your finger stuck in there, it says here, verse 22, should be up on the screens, I believe, it says, don't just listen to God's word, the Bible. You must do what it says, otherwise... You're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Strong words. We're using this book, which has been mentioned before, called Only the Brave. Thank you, Trevor, for our gold, uh, orange mountains behind us here. But this book here, which we're going to be using as our teaching series, is this idea of James is calling us to be disciples, to be followers of Christ, to be, to be gritty, authentic, determined disciples. Not lightweight, kind of just sort of bounding through life and go, oh dear, what's happened? Accidentally, I've arrived somewhere. But deliberately and intentionally going, I'm going to choose to follow Christ. I'm going to choose to live my life his way. I'm going to pick up some things as we go through James and others will be teaching over the next five weeks of what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be somebody who follows Jesus? Using James like as a, a map or a sat-nav or a guide of how do we get there? I don't want you to think of discipleship, what kind of Ideas get conjured up in your brain when I use the word. Maybe you feel a bit uncomfortable. Maybe you think about, oh, I'm going on a journey, or the idea of growing a plant. You put a seed in and something grows, or finding your shape, or following someone else. Maybe discipleship for you is following somebody, or the idea of personal development, or some kind of spiritual formation, or, or holy habits of reading the Bible regularly and praying routinely. Maybe that's how you see discipleship. I don't know what you think of when I, I say the word discipleship. But whatever your idea of discipleship might be, it starts with the honest question, the really important question, where are you now? Where are you now? Where are you today? Where are you right now? Because if we're going to go somewhere, we have to understand where we are. One of the only good reasons to give my children a mobile phone was for the moment they got lost. That's always the moment. I think every parent goes, I should, I should give my child a mobile phone because they might get lost and they'll need to call me. Who knows that children don't use phones just for calling their parents when they're lost? It's like 1% of the time, isn't it? But the moment they do get lost and they have their mobile phone, they think, oh, that's why I'm paying a monthly payment, so they can make that important phone call. It's not so they can pay Angry Birds in between their school breaks or whatever. And I remember those moments where the children would ring and they'd say, Dad, I'm lost. What was the question I would ask them? Where are you now? Where are you? Look around you. Tell me where you are. Because if you just tell me you're lost, I can't help you. If I tell you I'm lost... I can't help you. You need to look around and going, is there a shop? Is there a road sign? Is there something that shows me where I am now? Because when I know where they are, 
I can direct them back to either our house or back to where the car is parked, hopefully, and I can help them find the way back. But if I don't know where they are, we don't know how to start the conversation. Where are you now? If you want to be a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you the question today, where are you now? What does your journey with Jesus look like? What does your, your road map look like? Where are you? Are, you know those sort of big signs you have at West Quay and you stand in front of that map because you oh, got to go shopping and where's that shop? You go to the map and it says you are here. Amazing how they always know where you are, don't they? You are here and I want to go there and that's on that floor in that location so I can then plan my journey to go past as little amount of shops as possible and get the item and then go straight home again. Isn't that right, men? Absolutely. All this piddling around every single shop in West Key just in case I see something I might like. That's a terrible idea of shopping. But the, but the shopkeepers love it if you do that. Wonderful. Every single start of a journey begins with the question, where am I now? Where is, where is home for you? Where is the beginning point for you? I remember a number of years ago, I, I joined the gym, as you, as you can tell, and uh, a number of years ago, thank you for the laughter, and I joined the gym, and I had this, this guy, um, Glyn, who measured every aspect of me, a little bit disconcerting and very personal. He measured everything, my height, my weight, and circumference, and all kinds of things, and then said to me, what do you want to achieve? Because I've now measured where you are now, and you tell me what you want to achieve, and we can then measure whether you're getting there or not. We can then agree that there is progress. Something is taking place. And I want to say to you today that, you know, that we need to understand where we are now, because discipleship is not about perfection. And I think that's the misunderstanding. We've heard that this morning when, when Janet was sharing this idea of, of shame is going, I'm no, I don't match up to what everyone expects of me. I'm not perfect Discipleship is about progression, not perfection. It's about saying, I'm moving towards the goal, I'm not there yet. Every day to wake up and go, you know, yesterday wasn't great, but today I'm going to try a bit harder to make one step nearer to being more Christ-like. Yesterday, I want to ignore and pretend never happened, I'm so sorry, but today I'm going to think better, I'm going to act better, I'm going to behave better, I'm going to love better, be kinder, and change my mentality, my attitude, my approach to life, and I'm going to move away from where I was to where I want to be. Discipleship is progression, not perfection. And when people sometimes walk around as if they've got it all together, trust me, they haven't. They haven't. I had this incredible experience on a Friday night. I went to probably the biggest prayer meeting of my life. Uh, Matthew came with me and Adrian. We went up to London to the Excel Center and joined 40,000 people praying for hours and hours and hours. We ducked out about 11 o'clock at night. They were still going at 6 o'clock in the following morning. And they were praying like crazy and just going for it and worshiping God. It was incredible. And a friend of mine who invited me, he said, you need to wear a suit and tie. I was like, serious, suit and tie? I'm, I'm not, I've not seen a suit and tie before. I was like, wow, I do have one. You'd be pleased to know. So I put on my suit and tie. I thought I'd made quite an effort. I looked like a, you know, a candidate off The Apprentice. And I turned up at this place, and I realized I was underdressed. I joined this platform party with a choir bigger than our church. And, and the, the people are like they're going to a royal wedding. And they had beautiful hats on, and that was just the men. And they, and they had, like, looked amazing. And, I, okay, and you could think that because people are dressed up smartly, they've got it all together. Because you're sitting in a place of honor and respect, you, you've got it all together. But the truth is, none of us have got it together. 
No one, whatever position, authority, however long you've been a Christian for, we are still going every day. I pick up my cross and I choose to follow Jesus. Every day I go, you know what? Yesterday wasn't great, but tomorrow's going to be amazing. I choose to look to him and I'm saying, where am I now? And where do I want to be? That's discipleship. Progression, not perfection. James starts his whole book by telling us, you know what? There will be trials. There will be challenges. He says, consider it pure joy. Thank you, Neil, for that. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Can I hear some joy in the room for the trials of many kinds? Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. We know that, don't we? We just don't like it. Perseverance, James says, has got to finish its work so you can become pure and complete, not lacking in anything. Discipleship is about perseverance. We're going from this place of where are we now to perseverance towards pure and complete. But many of us, all of our lives will be in the perseverance series. We're not going to be going, I've got it. I've just done the pure and complete. I can now sign off on my course. I don't need to attend any growth path programs. I am done. If that's you, can you come and see me afterwards? I want to know your secret. And then I want to point out maybe there could be some things need to be worked upon. Is that all right? We've got to deal with it. Wonderful. James, this incredible book, this understanding of what's it like to be a follower of Christ. So this mirror, I've, I've stolen this from my daughter's bedroom this morning. Um, she really appreciated me doing that. But this is this idea that the Bible is like a mirror. The mirror of God. That he, he reflects something to us from the words of God. When this book was written, mirrors would, be, would have been very rare. They'd have been polished pieces of metal. There wouldn't have been anything like this to be able to have. Only wealthy people would have had access to a mirror. It would have been something that would have been a real special thing, that you'd almost parade it in front of your friends. Oh, I've got myself a new mirror. And actually, it'd be pretty poor. It'd be like a polished piece of metal that you'd have to sort of gaze into. And the idea when James is saying, you know, someone glancing at the mirror and forgetting what they look like, if you had a mirror and you saw your reflection, you would study it carefully because it'd be something you wouldn't have had the opportunity to do very often. You'd have gone, wow, what is that? Wow, how's that working? When we look at the Bible... Do we read it carefully? Do we assess what we're reading? Do we apply it to our lives? Or do we, as James says, just glance and go? Do we flick? Yep, that's nice. Off we go. Or do we go, I believe this is the word of God speaking to me. It's like a mirror reflecting back. In verse 25 of chapter 1, Paul says, this is the law that brings freedom. The Bible is law that brings freedom. And on the, on the initial kind of reading, you think, law, bringing freedom, rules, bringing freedom. That sounds like restriction and limitation and holding me back. But laws can actually bring freedom when you're all running to the same laws. Last couple of years, um, our kids have started to do their driving tests. And um, with Zach, our oldest, I've learned the skill of seeming calm and serene on the outside. While inside, I am panicking like crazy and praying hard. And try not to grip onto the seats, parents, because that, that's a giveaway. The white-knuckle thing shows up. And you just sit there calmly. Maybe, maybe braking would be good about now. And so fortunately, Zach has passed his test, and it's now the turn of Levi, my second son. And he's got his theory test coming soon, and he has to learn his highway code. The highway code is the law of the road. It's the, it's the rule book of how to drive safely. And if everybody follows the rules, there is freedom. 
If you follow the system of how to drive on the English roads, the UK roads, there is freedom. If you start doing your own thing, then the system breaks down. Laws can bring freedom. Good news for you, Levi, on um, section 161 of the mirror of the, of the highway code. Have we got that up there, Levi? There we go. A little bit of highway code. Uh, you can all join in this, but this really is for my son. The highway code talks about using the mirror. And it's a great analogy, I think, to the use of the Bible. The, the highway code says this. Mirrors, in section 161, it says, you should use your mirrors effectively throughout your journey. You should use the Bible effectively throughout your journey. Aren't they kind, the highway code, making this point out for us? Wonderful. It says this. There's three different aspects of using your mirrors when you're learning to drive. Number one, use your mirrors frequently. Frequently, so you always know what's around you. Use your Bible, frequenting moment coming up. Read the Word of God. What is God saying? How many times after them in good time? Use your mirrors in good time before changing direction. If you've got a life-changing moment coming up, read the Word of God. What is God saying? How many times I've, I've met people say, I've, I've made this change, you're going, did you pray about that? Did you ask God about that? Did you go to some wise friends? Did you study Scripture? No, I just thought it was a good idea. They offer me more money. Really? That's your decision-making process? Use your mirrors effectively throughout your journey when changing direction. Use the Word of God effectively. Use it when changing direction. And last thing that they recommend in the Highway Code, section 161, that your mirrors do not show you everything. There are some blind spots. There are some blind spots. Do you know the problem with blind spots? You can't see them. <laughs> you might think, oh, I've got no blind spots, Sim. No, no, I know you think you haven't got blind spots because they're blind spots. You can't see them. But each one of us does this thing. We'll read the Bible and we'll just ignore that. That's a bit of a tricky one. Just push that one to one side. We all have blind spots. We can read the Bible through the lenses that we create through life. We can read the Bible and we can edit, self-edit. We can revise as we go. Mm, I'm not sure. That's Obviously, that was, a mis that was a printing error. I think we'll just edit that one out. Maybe I'll ignore those verses or that chapter. The Bible is a mirror. It's there to guide us through our lives. It should be used regularly before changing direction and making sure that we realize we all have blind spots. The law brings freedom. But often the challenge is we don't see the world as the Bible recommends we should. The mirror gets distorted through time. We can be fresh, new Christians, excited by the truth we're reading and then we get a little bit casual. We get a little bit relaxed. We get a little bit, oh, I know this works. I've read this before. I've done this before. I know what to expect. It's a bit like those moments um, when you go to opticians, isn't it? You think you can see perfectly fine. And uh, my granddad was an optician. In fact, my granddad, you've probably all used my granddad's invention. My granddad invented the double-sided lens. Big ooh, please, for my granddad. Thank you very much. When you go into the opticians, you sit in that chair and they put those funny glasses on your face and they put in the, the lens, they, put it, they go, is it better like this? They turn it around like this. My granddad invented that. Thank you very much. I thank you. I'm not sure we made a family fortune out of it, but anyway, he did that. He used to be a chemist and apparently used to carry around all these lenses and he thought to half the amount he'd have to carry, he created the double-sided lens. There we go. Bit of information for you. But when you sit in the optician's chair and you have that moment there putting the lens in, you suddenly realize what you thought was good eyesight needs a bit of improvement. 
Because over time, you get accustomed to how it works. You get used to the old pair of glasses. You get used to living without glasses. You just think you need a longer arm or something. Or, or people just printing recipes smaller on the back of packaging. And you think, actually, no, it's my eyes. And I just didn't realize. The same we read the Bible, we can get accustomed. We can get casual. We can get relaxed. What does the Bible actually say? What does the Bible say to you right now? We perceive our reality differently. Each one of us reads scripture and we see it in a different manner. There's this gap between how we see ourselves and how others see us. Or more importantly today, how you see yourself and how God sees you. There's sometimes a huge difference and people live their lives, we've heard this morning, understanding a truth that's not true. Understanding how people perceive them when they forget to go back and say, what does God say about who I am? Who am I today as a follower of Christ? If I want to be a disciple, where am I now? What does the Bible say? Well, you can either wear these rose-tinted spectacles, or you can have a critical eye. The glass can be half full or half empty. We see the world differently. So what does the Bible show us? How do we ensure that as a great philosopher Michael Jackson said that we're looking at the man in the mirror and not the man in the smartphone. Because so often we are led by what we read online than what we are led by what we read in the Bible, the mirror of God. When we read in the Bible, when we talk about who am I, we've done this a few times in recent weeks, but I think the idea of our identity is an absolutely essential a concept for those who want to follow Christ. If you want to be a disciple, get a really good handle on who God says you are. You can spend a long time, many, many years, trying to become something you're not when you need to understand, what does God say? What does the Bible say? When I look in the mirror, what does it say? Psalm 139 says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Or 1 John 3, he has lavished his love upon us. He calls us his children. Some of you today need to hear that. Or Ephesians 2 says, we are God's masterpiece. Ma- Thank you for the hallelujahs in the room, but masterpiece. It's not like going, you are God's kind of half-hearted effort at a scribble on the wall. You are his masterpiece. He looks and he goes, wow, you are worth millions in Sotheby's. Whether you decide to shred it once you've made it or not. You're worth millions. He goes, wow, you are a masterpiece. Matthew 6 says, don't worry about what you wear. Look at the beauty of creation. If God looks after flowers, how much more will he look after you? Galatians 3 says, we are clothed with Christ. These are great truths, aren't they? Genesis 1, we've talked about a load the last few weeks. We are made in the image of God. That's true. That's what the mirror reveals. That's what the word of God reveals. But then we go online and we look at our Instagram feed and we realize that we're not really good looking enough at all, that the clothes we wear aren't really up to date, that you know, the celebrities with all their kind of sponsorship and their perfect camera and their studio setting and their airbrushing has presented us with an image we can't compare with. And instead of believing that we are a masterpiece, we start thinking we could do better. If only I had a new pair of shoes. If only I could have the latest car or the, the best 
you know, kind of whatever it is that's the latest thing to have, the latest phone, whatever it might be. If only I could have something, I would look better. I would be better. I would be more like God if I had more stuff. It's not what the Bible says. And yet we allow our cultural mirror to change how we see ourselves. That we suddenly are who we, what we wear. We are where we go on holiday. We are what we drive. We are what we use as a mobile phone. No, we're made in the image of God. Or when we come to think about our faith, you know, who are we? Who are we as followers of Christ? Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't go, well, when you're good enough, and when you've attended church three weeks in a row, then I will die for you. He didn't say that. He went, I, I, will, I will give my son as a gift to you when you were still messing it up. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. Ephesians 5, you were once in darkness, but now you are light. You're no longer dark, but light. John 10, it's a famous verse, says the thief comes to, to steal and destroy, but Jesus, I've come to give you life in all of its fullness. That's the Christian journey. And then we look around other people in the church. We go, you know what? Everyone's got it together. Everyone looks like they've really got... I mean, that, the way that person worships, they've got both hands in the air. They must be really good. That, they, they, they are so together. That person's always smiling. They must have it absolutely nailed. And especially, I mean, people who stand on platforms, they must be perfect, surely. They've got it all together. Life is easy for them. You've got no idea what I'm going through. And we forget that we're clothed in Christ. We forget that he's given us life in all its fullness. And we start comparing ourselves to other people rather than looking at the word of God, the mirror. We feel like we need to do more. We need to serve more. We need to participate more. We need to, we need to go forward more. If we went forward for prayer every week, maybe then we'd be fine. We need to kind of you know, get stuck in with more things. It's always a road to get involved with. Or, or maybe we're just sitting at home going, no one's coming to see me. And I'm always isolated and limited. Everyone else is connected. I'm left out. What does the word of God say? What does the Bible say? What does the mirror reveal to me? And if there are some of your questions, I want to encourage you to come along to Simple Church and we'll talk about some of the ways you can feel part of this thing called Freedom Church, part of our family, our community, part of the idea of belonging. Or when you want to find out about what it means to be of divine nature like God himself, 1 Corinthians 3 says this, You are a temple of God. His spirit lives in you. That's great, isn't it? God's spirit lives in you. 2 Peter says, you share his divine nature. Romans 6, you are free from slavery. You become a slave to righteousness. Romans 8, you've not got the spirit of a slave, but God's spirit in you. He adopted you as his child. John 15, I no longer call you servants, but friends. That's a great thought, isn't it? He looks at us as friends. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what the mirror reveals. But then we make mistakes. We think we're not good enough. We, we understand about grace, but we think that's for others, not for us. That's what the Bible says. The word of God tells us that we are accepted, that we are loved, that we are significant, that we are the child of God. And if you're struggling with some of those things, I say go to freedom in Christ. And help get some understanding of what it means to be fully alive in him. The problem with mirrors is that they are honest. They are like visual weighing scales, aren't they? 
When you look in a mirror, what you see is what you look like. They're very useful sometimes. You're rushing out the door to go to work and you, you do a quick check in the mirror and you realize the breakfast is still around your face. Mirrors are very useful. But sometimes if you're the wicked stepmother in the story of Snow White, the mirror's truthfulness is someone's very uncomfortable. And what we read can make us feel a little bit awkward because we realize this is true, but our life doesn't match up to what we're reading. Where are you now? Are you somebody who is looking in the mirror intently or are you glancing and then forgetting what you've seen? James 1 says this line, anyone who listens to the word of God but does not do what it says is like someone looking at series as being disciples, following Jesus in being brave and courageous what he looks like. It's a challenge, isn't it? My challenge to you today as we start this new series is being disciples, following Jesus in being brave and courageous and determined, is I want to encourage you to start by reading the Word of God. Start making an intentional part of your habit and your routine. Five, six years ago, I decided to start reading the Bible through in a year. It's something I've done. I do it every day. I read the Bible. For me, it's an important touch point. I go, I've got to just get my head around the Bible. Some days, you know what, I can get stuck in Leviticus and I think, seriously, am I, why am I doing this for? Then other days, I will read something that kind of jumps off the page. I go, wow, this is so much giving me life. It's the bread of life Jesus refers to it as. Are we reading the Bible? When it comes to discipleship, the challenge is that immature followers, they want the spectacular without any work. It's like people going to the gym hoping a week's worth of effort will provide the perfect beach body. Immature people want the spectacular without any effort. Mature followers of Christ, they know that it will take time, that there's a price to be paid for the substantial. It doesn't happen overnight. Immature people blame others for their circumstances or their situation. Mature people go, I'm here now. I want to get there, and I need to take responsibility for how I become more like Jesus. It's your personal responsibility to be his follower. I can't make you follow Jesus. I can't grab you by your hand and drag you to heaven. I can point you, but we have to take responsibility to have that life of progression, not perfection. I'm aiming towards becoming more like him. I understand I'm not there yet. Let's get the worship team up if that's okay, and I'll just finish up our time this morning. There's one own story of the prodigal son. It's a story that Jesus told one of his parables. And he tells this incredible story of the man who had two sons, and his younger son said, I, I want my inheritance now. I'd like to have what you owe me now. That would have been a disgraceful thing to have done. But in the story, the man gives his son his inheritance. You know how it works out. The son goes and squanders everything he's got. He, he, he loses it all. He blows it all. He loses all his friends. And there comes that moment of realization the where am I now moment. And he realizes that I am in a pigsty feeding animals. My servants, or my dad's servants, are fed better than I am. My dad's servants have a better life than I do. I need to go back and I say to my dad, Dad, can I be your servant? 
And there's this moment where you can imagine the son is walking back to his dad's house. His head is hung down, and he's like going, okay, I'm reciting this, this kind of moment. I'm going to say to my dad, here's my big speech. Dad, I'm, I'm not worthy to be your son. Could I just be your servant? Could I, have, could I live in the servant's quarters? Could I have the food that they have? I know I've lost my right to be your son. And there's that moment he's walking and he's just thinking to himself. And you know the story. The father is looking out for his son. He is there on the rooftop going, where is my boy? I'm missing my boy. And there comes that time he sees his son walking towards him. And the Bible says the father runs towards his son. Something that an older Jewish man would never do. It would be, be disrespectful. His enthusiasm was a father who loved his son so much he couldn't wait to see him again. And there's this incredible moment I want you to hear today where the son says, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. Could I just be your servant? Could I have an arrangement where I act out this role of servant and you just pay me a wage and we forget that we were ever father and son? And there's this moment where the son is reciting his speech and the dad stops him. And he hugs his dirty, smelly, broken son. And he says, quick, get a robe to put around him. Why? The robe is a significant place of honor. If you're wearing a robe, it shows you are being honored. You are being held in high esteem. He goes, this is my son. I'm proud of him. He says, get a ring and put it on his finger. Why? Because that's about authority. He goes, I don't see you as a servant. I see you as a son. And I want you to have the same authority that I carry. I want you to have that authority. And he says, put some shoes on his feet because he was barefoot and only servants wear bare feet around the house. Sons wear shoes. And he says, I don't see you as a servant. I see you as my son. I see you as my child. And one of the biggest challenges I believe that us as Christians following Christ and trying to live his way is we have a complete misunderstanding of who we are. We think we're a servant. We think that God is our boss that we're an employee. We think that God has set up a whole bunch of lists of rules. Maybe that's to do with the way your, your parents treated you and maybe you feel that way. It's like, that's how I work because that's how I, I've experienced the love of a parent. But God is this incredible father that goes, whoa, put the speech down. I see you as a son. I see you as my child. I love you regardless of what you've done or what you're going to do. That's the story when we look in the mirror, the truth says you are well loved. You are his masterpiece. You are my son. You are my daughter. That's the God we serve. And discipleship isn't about completing a set of rules. It's about just knowing that I'm his child. And he lavishes himself upon me. And he delights in me. Even when I do dumb things, he goes, you know what? That's my boy. He's all right. He's having a bad moment right now, but he's okay. And he looks at each one of us and he says that. 1 Corinthians 13 says these last few words here. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Well, the King James says we see through a glass darkly. Now we see a bit of a distorted mirror. But one day, 1 Corinthians says, one day we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. 
But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Let's stand, shall we? What would it look like if Freedom Church was full of hundreds of determined disciples, confident in whose they were, their identity in Christ, not shouting about how we're going to change the world, but quietly changing ourselves first? For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.